White Russian. Never had one. They're tasty. Being lactose intolerant, though, the uh, white Russian is not good for me. I was going to say, it'd probably be the same thing for me. I'd be Russian, but it'd be brown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Right down the gutter. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A weekly tour through the sci-fi phenomenon of Star Trek, the original series. Hosted by myself, Dana Smith, and my co-host and friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, how are you this evening? Pretty good. Hanging in there. The shoulder? Shoulders hanging there. Yeah. So. <laughs> like just, like it fell off and you need another <laughs> surgery or what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it seems to be sitting a little bit lower than the other one. I'm not sure. I'll, you know, I see the doctor in two weeks. I'm sure he'll mention something about that. So, <laughs> so I don't know if you know this, but today is our friend uh, Cindy's birthday, the day we're recording this. So wanted to say happy birthday, Cindy. Yeah, happy birthday. She messaged me and said uh, that she's loving the podcast, thinks that uh, the last one was hilarious. She says it really brightens her day. So she must really have a dark life. It's uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she needs to learn how to put the shades up in her house. <laughs> yeah. So, Dan, before we dive too far in, we have some big news. Yes, we do. We have a a sponsor. I think this means we've hit the big time. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. So we have partnered with Photo Bucket, and we were looking for a sponsor that would fit well with our show and would be something our listeners could actually use. Yeah, and listeners of our show have a lot of Star Trek memorabilia, and we know this because they've shown us on Facebook, they've told us about it in comments they've sent, and I bet, Dana, that they are tired of struggling to organize and share those out-of-this-world Star Trek photos. Well, we have a solution for you. Introducing Photo Bucket, the ultimate destination for Trekkies to showcase their fandom. Dan, with Photo Bucket, you can easily upload, store, organize, even have prints made of all your Star Trek memories in one secure place. Share your amazing convention moments, your cosplay triumphs, and even those hilarious behind-the-scene bloopers with uh, fellow fans uh, around the galaxy. But that's not all, Dana. Photo Bucket goes beyond on photos. You can create stunning Star Trek themed albums, add captions and tags, and even create personalized slideshows that will make Captain Kirk himself Orion Green with envy. Dan, here's the best part. Photo Bucket integrates seamlessly with all your favorite social media platforms, so you can share your adventures and let your Star Trek spirit shine across the entire universe. And right now, Photo Bucket is offering something special, a one terabyte of storage for only five bucks a month. And if you use the promo code DAMMITJIM at sign up, you'll get one month free for being a loyal listener. Dan, do you realize how many terabyte storage things I have around the house? Well, I was there a month ago and you were knee deep in them, Dana. (laughs) Maybe not knee deep. It's not like I had tribbles around here, but uh, (laughs) I had, I have like three or four. It's just crazy. Five bucks. I spent a whole lot more than that. Yeah, that's right. So beam yourself up to Photo Bucket today and start preserving and sharing your Star Trek memories like never before. Don't wait because the final frontier awaits your creativity. Visit Photo bucket.com now and unlock a universe of possibilities. This is exciting news, Dan. I have a ton of family pictures I'm going to upload to Photo Bucket. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about uh, our listener comments from last week's show. Yeah, we had some really good ones, I thought, Dana. Mark Haley 
said the only problem I had with this episode was the casting of actor John Fiedler be playing the villain. John Fiedler was the voice of Piglet in Winnie the Pooh, as we mentioned, Dan. I just can't wrap my head around Piglet being a mass murderer of women. If you think about it, Dana, it's a little bit of poetic justice, you know, that a pig would be murdering humans. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. That's I don't like... either, really. Except, you know, you could just say bacon. Gotta love bacon. Actually, I do have a little story. So I was in <laughs> I was in Boise last week. They have a restaurant called Bacon. I don't want to insult the intelligence of our listeners, Dana, but they feature bacon in this restaurant. <laughs> I thought you were explaining that just for me. I was <laughs> but the bacon was amazing. Actually, the, I had breakfast there. The whole breakfast was amazing. But they have a sign that's posted outside, and they also have this on their T-shirts. It said, praise the lard. <laughs> Wow. That's that's not something you see all the time. No, it's not. Bacon was amazing. It was amazing. Our good friend Olivia wrote to us and said, uh, great episode as always. I had one thought while listening. I find it interesting that even in the 23rd century, they didn't have the technology or resources available to identify Jack the Ripper once and for all. She says, anyway, wonderful episode. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing y'all thoughts. And as always, you guys had me laughing before the cold opening had even finished. Can't wait till Friday. So thanks, Olivia. Thanks for being a loyal listener. Pam McClung said this episode freaked me out when I was younger. The end is a bit scary, especially hearing Piglet's voice saying, kill, kill, kill. She says uh, his voice is quite distinctive and it was so distinctive it bothered you greatly, Dan. As Jack the Ripper, yes, but as Piglet, I thought it's a perfect voice for Piglet. Yeah, true. I, I did think of it while I was eating bacon at the bacon place. <laughs> Eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me. <laughs> in fact, they have a big sign. I forgot how to tell you about this one. A huge sign on the inside says, eat me. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I wonder if they could be our sponsor. I mean, we've given them so much free publicity at this point. If, you, if you're in Boise, go to that restaurant. It is called Bacon. It's wonderful. Maybe they'll send us some free bacon. Uh, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> tell this on the air because other people are going to do it. And my chances will be less, but you can register to win free bacon for a year. Oh my gosh. And they know it's not going to last a year because you'll get through about two months and die of a coronary. So they won't have to pay <laughs> off. So you go a month and like eat all the bacon you want. Then you go to the hospital and get your arteries rotor rooted out. And yeah. then you go back and eat another month's worth. And then you go back to the hospital and do the angioplasty and then yeah <laughs> and then you go back and they put a pig's heart in <laughs> pig's valves i know they use pig's valves john wayne uh when he had heart surgery they replaced one of his uh valves with a pig valve and that was the first one of the first ones i'd ever heard of that i used to work for a medical device company years ago we made scalpels mm -hmm. and we would test them on pig skin to make sure that they would cut were the pigs alive, Dana? No. Well, where'd you get the pig skin? That's a little odd. Something you bought through another medical supply company. <laughs> <laughs> they killed the pigs. <laughs> yeah. After you cut them, did you make like... Pork rinds? <laughs> pork rinds. Yeah. Did you make pork rinds, like homemade pork rinds at work? It was just, it was like, it was crazy. It was a little thin layer and it was pink. And I thought this guy was using like a balloon. He said, no, it's pig skin because the pig skin is similar to human skin. Weird. I, I thought he was joking. And then... And I went and talked to one of the managers about it. And he said, yeah, he goes, uh, we had that stuff all over around here. <laughs> 
So let me get through this. So our friend Victor said, Red Jack cannot be found in any dictionary. John Beeler said, Scotty Piglet and the Happy Gas. That would have been a good title for that episode. I like it. Yeah. Dan, did we get any phone messages? Dana, we did. I want to congratulate Coop from Maryland, who took us up on our challenge to get the 10 phone calls. And his was the first ever call from a listener to the Damn It Jim podcast hotline. It was also the only call that we got. And I'm a little disappointed, Dana, I have to say. A little disappointed. Disappointed that you didn't call in and try to disguise your voice and, you know, give a couple messages. Although I didn't do it either. I still would love to get some more phone calls, but I'll talk about that in a minute. So here's what Coop had to say. Hey, guys. Love the show. First thing, no more month-long vacations, please. I missed you guys way too much. Just listen to the last episode of Love the Ramble and the Thunderbirds. I remember, you know, when uh, marionettes were considered uh, entertainment. I think the closest thing to that, you know, now the uh, movie made by the South Park guys, uh, uh, Team America. But um, enjoy the show. Guess that's enough rambling. I don't have a ramble ramble jar here. So take care. Uh, Live long and prosper. Bye. Dan, everybody should have a ramble jar. I I totally agree. I don't know how I got along before without one. But anyway, thanks to Coop for taking us up on the challenge. Some of the people who sent us emails, some of our loyal listeners, Olivia and Matt and some others, it would be great if they called us. Yeah, no, I agree. They get to hear our voices all the time. It'd be nice to hear theirs. And we'll put it on the air. Absolutely. So once again, the phone number is 509 Six seven six six two nine eight. I'll put that in the show notes. Easy to find. And again, if you've got silly comments, if you want to tell us to never do another podcast again, if you're drunk when you do it, it doesn't matter. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Do we get any emails this week, Dan? Dana, one more email I'd like to mention we did get uh, from Zachary O'Donnell. He said, just saw this post on a Star Trek Facebook group, and I think it's worth a mention on your show. I don't believe you guys noted it, and this is priceless. If you did notice it and didn't mention it, then well, forget about it. Uh, But we didn't notice it, and here's what he sent. It's a picture from the episode Cat's Paw, and it shows Kirk, McCoy, and Spock standing out in the fog. Kirk is holding a phaser. McCoy is also holding a phaser, but he's holding it back backwards, Dana, with the shooting end pointing right up toward him. (laughs) Maybe he had a different idea on how to use it. I'm a doctor, damn it, not a phaser technician. (laughs) That didn't sound at all like him. Not even close, but... So good catch on that. Zach, thank you for the email. Well, after uh, so much fanfare, let's uh, get into the trouble with Tribbles. Yeah, let's do it. So we start out in the briefing room... Kirk, Spock, and Chekhov discuss that they are traveling to Deep Space Station K-7. Chekhov reports that they'll pass within one parsec of the nearest Klingon outpost. And he says, Close enough to smell them. That is illogical, Ensign. Odors cannot travel through the vacuum of space. I was making a little joke, sir. Extremely little, Ensign. <laughs> you know, Spock can be an ass sometimes. So it's a... well, what is a parsec? It's a part of a sec. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to know what it is. You know, I was going to look that up. I only know it because I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's apparently, Dana, a uh, unit of length used to measure the large distances to astronomical objects outside the solar system, approximately 3.26 light years, or 206,265 astronomical units, or 30.9 trillion kilometers or 19.2 trillion miles. So it's a long ass way, Dana. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not, that makes it sound like one parsec, makes it sound like, you know, around the corner. Well, maybe in Star Trek terms, it is around the corner, you know, with warp <laughs> drive and all. True. Our fans keep learning stuff, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, and we do too. If you ask me next week, though, what a parsec is, <laughs> I won't remember. I love this opening, though, Dana, because it really sets the stage for what this episode is going to be, which is just going to be a funny episode. So, funny story. Should I get the ramble jar ready? This might pertain to something. So, so the answer is, yeah, I should probably get it ready. <laughs> I went to this trade show. We work in a scientific field, and the owner of the company is a brilliant guy. So, I came back from the trade show, and he says, this is like one of the biggest trade shows they have, yeah? And I said, yeah, Tom. I said, it is so big. If I stood at one end, I couldn't see the other end because of the curvature of the earth. He just looked at me very seriously and said, uh, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you, though. Did he say it's not possible because he doesn't believe the Earth has a curvature and uh, it's flat Earth? Or... You know, I didn't think about it that way, but I'm pretty sure he believes the Earth is round. I wonder if any of our listeners are flat Earthers. I'm sure at some point we had some flat Earthers and then we said something in one of the early episodes that now we don't have them. <laughs> we did say that. Okay, anyway. So they talk about Sherman's planet, which is a disputed area since the Battle of Donatu Five, According to the Organian Peace Treaty, the party that can prove it can develop the planet's resources most efficiently will gain control of the planet. And just as they're discussing this, Uhura calls and says K7 has issued a Code 1 alert, which suggests it's under attack. Kirk orders to increase speed to warp factor 6 and issues a red alert. Kirk says we can only assume the Klingons have attacked the station. We're going in armed for battle. So as we zoom in on the station, Chekhov announces phasers are armed and ready. But when they get closer, they see there's no attack going on. So they hail the station. The station manager, Lurie, is a little contrite in his explanation. He finally asks that Kirk beam over and he'll try to explain it. Oh, I made a little comment in here to myself that I like the old station design, the uh, space station design. It looked like it had Christmas trees on it to me, though. You know how hard it is to take Christmas trees down once you put them up out in space? Okay, so, <laughs> so wait a second. So what you're saying here <laughs> is that this actually was the one Christmas episode of Star Trek. Could have been. So I had this roommate. This is definitely going to be a ramble. <laughs> and how can I put this, Dana? He was a dick. <laughs> I think I can say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say his name, Jeff Wachman. He was... Um, <laughs> But he, he was just an ass, Dana. He was so proud one day he came to me and he said, hey, I wrote this letter and I put it in the mailboxes of some of our neighbors. And this was in February. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what, what does the letter say? I'm not making this up, Dana. It says the Christmas lights should not go up past the middle of January. You should take your Christmas lights down. <laughs> Sincerely. And then he signed it. You are neighbor. <laughs> So he's a genius on top of everything else. And a, kind of a wimp because he couldn't put his real name on there and say, hey, you know, I'm offended by your Christmas light or whatever his deal was. I don't know what his deal was, but I have fun with that after Christmas. My wife and I'll be, you know, out about in town and I'll see some lights up and I'll just say to her, you know, it's about time they take down those lights. I think they need to get a letter from you, our neighbor. <laughs> That'll teach them. 
So Kirk and Spock beam over to the station. They're introduced to Nils Barris. He's the Federation Undersecretary of Agricultural Affairs. Dana, this guy seems super familiar to me, like the actor. Yeah, he should. He was like in every TV show that was ever aired on television since like 1950. <laughs> okay, that's why I recognize him. <laughs> I think even though he died like seven years ago, I think he's still in, in new shows. So I think they just put him in there because he's been on so many shows. Okay. Nils Barris has an aide, and that's Arnie Darvin. Arn. Is Arn? Yeah. But let's say Arnie, because I was, <laughs> Dane, I was a little disappointed we didn't get corrected on any of our pronunciations last week. I'm hoping, let's say, just say Arnie. So maybe we'll get corrected again this week. <laughs> Arnie's better. Arnie, Arnie Darwin. He he seemed more like an Arnie than an Arn. He I did. Mean, he did. Yeah, he totally so. did. Yeah. So uh, Barris says he's the one who issued the priority one alert. And Barris requests that security guards be posted around the storage containers containing the quadro. I practiced this. <laughs> quadro tritty Kaylee. Quadro tri. Kaylee. Why can't I say it now? I was there day. I was saying this like over and over. I was practically saying it in my sleep last night. I think it's quadrotriticale. Quadrotriticale. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. God. It's just because it. I, I hadn't said it in like a day. Yeah. So let me try that again. Okay. I'm going to put all this in. I know you're going to put that in there. <laughs> so Kirk doesn't know what quadrotriticale is and Lurie hands him a sample and he checks it out and he says, wheat, you issued a priority one alert for wheat? Barris argues that the Quadro Triticale must be protected. Lurie requests that they post a couple of guards. Spock thinks this is reasonable. Kirk calls the Enterprise, canceling the red alert. He requests two guards be sent over and issues shore leave to all off-duty personnel. Barris again argues that Kirk is not taking this seriously enough. Kirk responds, I have never questioned the orders or the intelligence of any representative of the Federation. Until now. Great line. That is a great line. Dana, I, I don't know anything about acting. We've established that like early on in this podcast, you know, I know that you've done acting. It seems to me, though, that comedy must be one of the most difficult things to do. Yeah, I really think it is. I think in this scene, Shatner pulls it off brilliantly. And you know why? Because he's not trying to be funny. What do you mean? He's got a little bit of, it's a little bit lighter than normal. Mm-hmm. But he's saying something fairly seriously. And then, you know, the line just speaks for itself. And that's the thing is you have to trust the lines to be the comedy. Next thing we see is Kirk and Spock in the bar. Okay, hold on. Oh, I got to I'm sorry. Once again, I got to jump in here. <laughs> this is going to be a four hour episode, you know? I know, I know, I know. It's okay. The woman's serving drinks. So she goes up to the bar. They're standing at the bar, right? Kirk and Spock. The waitress goes up. She gets a tray of drinks, turns around, takes them off someplace. She looked to me like she was dressed just like a Playboy bunny from the 1960s. I had a high school English teacher. Okay. She was not a Playboy bunny. She told us this story that her husband and Hugh Hefner were friends and and Hugh Hefner had this idea to do Playboy magazine. And this would have been in like probably the late 50s, somewhere in there. Yeah. And uh, her husband was like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to get in on that. The English teacher said it was only going to cost him like, I don't know, a hundred bucks or something to get in on the ground floor. I, I don't know why she's telling a high school English class this story, but she did. And she said, and her husband decided to say no. And then she had this look on her face, which said to me, and I've got to teach you fucking bastards for 30 more years. <laughs> 
And if he just would have said yes, we'd be rich right now. I dated a Playboy bunny. Oh, well, hold on a second. Okay, this is <laughs> just like last week with the story that started with... I dated a girl once. I dated so, a girl once. Uh, yeah. This is going to be even better. So I, I got... It's not much to it. I mean, we were... Uh, I was going to school at Columbia College in Chicago. I was taking a writing class and there was a girl in the class who probably announced that she worked for the Playboy Corporation. She wore the bunny ears and the whole costume. Wait. In class? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that would have been disruptive. So uh, <laughs> I said to her, it's like, I don't believe you're a Playboy bunny or something like that. And so she brought me a picture of her in this outfit. And then she got me a pass to go to the Playboy Club in Chicago. Really? Yeah. And yeah, I was like 23. Yeah. So we dated a few times. I don't know. I think you know, it was like two months or something that we went out. Okay. So Dana, I, I have to ask this question because I know all of our listeners are thinking of it. Okay. <laughs> Did you go and get the magazine she was in? She was in an ad in the magazine for Playboy attire. I mean, she wasn't a centerfold or anything. I mean, I don't want to say I'm disappointed. Like, I was hoping there'd be more. <laughs> kind of a boring story, but I, I you know, that's my, uh, I did date a Playboy bunny. Yeah, not many people can say that. Uh, Spock and Kirk are in the bar, <laughs> and Kirk's still complaining about the Priority One alert to protect wheat. Spock counters that the Klingons would not be happy if the Federation were able to develop Sherman planet. As Kirk and Spock move toward the door, Uhura and Chekhov enter. Kirk says, I see you didn't waste any time taking shore leave. To which Uhura responds, how often do I get shore leave? Kirk hands Chekhov the wheat and Chekhov says he recognized Quadro Triticale. And Kirk says, does everyone know about this but me? And Chekhov says, not everyone, Captain. It is Russian invention. And Kirk and Spock kind of roll their eyes and leave. And that's a running joke now in Star Trek, isn't it? Yeah, that the Russians invented everything. So there's a salesman at the bar who is pushing his wares on the bartender. The bartender is very negative on the sales. The salesman holds out a little ball of fur and says, surely you'd want this. And Uhura asks, what is it? And he hands it to her. And she says, it's adorable. And we hear a little purr coming from it. Because she's stroking it, right, Dana? Yes, she is. Oh, to be a little ball fur. <laughs> <laughs> And the salesman, who goes by the name of Cyrano Jones, says, it's a tribble. Chekhov asks if it will bite, and Jones says, tribbles have no teeth. And Yuhura says she'll take it. And she sets the tribble down, and we see it move towards the spilled grain, the triticale. The, sorry, the quadro triticale. Right, you got to make sure you put the quadro part in there. <laughs> a moment later, is obviously eaten some of the grain, Spock and Kirk are back in the conference room on the ship, Uhura reports that there is a Klingon vessel approaching and Kirk orders a red alert. So Kirk hails Mr. Lurie to warn him about the Klingons approaching. Lurie says he doesn't think the Klingons will attack as the captain of the Klingon ship is sitting in his office. The camera pulls back and we see two Klingons sitting there. So Kirk cancels the red alert and tells Lurie he'll be right over. So Kirk and Spock beam over to the station again. Kirk calls the Klingon captain by name as the Klingon captain calls Kirk by name. So I was assuming right away that they knew each other, or at least knew of each other. Yeah, that was my assumption too. So it's Captain Koloth and his partner Colostomy. <laughs> <laughs> What was his name? I don't even remember. It is. It's like Colax or something like that. So Captain Koloth assures Kirk his intentions are peaceful and is only looking for shore leave 
we do not equip our ships with non-essential luxury items. And then he makes a move with his hand to represent an hourglass or basically Dan, the female form. Oh, Dana. Wow. Just wow, Dana. And then he says, under the terms of the Organian Peace Treaty, you cannot deny us. So Lurie pulls Kirk aside and he says, I don't want them here, but I don't have the authority to refuse. Kirk says, I have the authority to act very badly. (laughs) He turns and tells Koloth that he can only beam over 12 men at a time. So later, Kirk finds Scotty in the rec room as he is studying technical journals. Scotty says he is relaxing. Then over at a table, we see several people gathered together and several tribbles on the table. And McCoy is there and he asks how long Uhura has had a tribble. And Uhura responds, since yesterday, but this morning I found out that she had babies. And the tribbles, if you look across the table, they all vary in size and color. I counted, I think there was like 16 on the table. Kirk seems concerned and asks if... If Uhura is running a nursery, Uhura responds uh, she didn't intend to. So McCoy asks if he can take one down to the lab and see what makes it tick. And Uhura says, if you're going to dissect it, I really don't want to know about it. (laughs) I love that line. And McCoy responds, I won't harm a hair on its head, wherever that is. So later, Kirk goes to sickbay. When he enters, McCoy is checking out the tribbles. Kirk asks, how many did you hurra give you? And McCoy says, just one. Kirk counts 11. And McCoy says, almost half of their metabolism is geared for reproduction. He says, do you know what you get if you feed a tribble too much? A fat tribble. You got a whole bunch of hungry little tribbles. Well, Bones, all I can suggest is you open up a maternity ward. That that whole scene was really pretty funny, Dana. Yeah, no, they they both play off each other really well in that. So Kirk is in the transporter room and he orders Scotty to take shore leave. Scotty seems quite reluctant to be away from his technical journals and the ship's engines. But he didn't seem that way when they sent him to the planet last week. No, no, he was, I, I think they had would have had a hard time getting him off that planet. Well, he, he probably got off on the planet, but it was just a... Uh... <laughs> 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 At least three times that we know of. <laughs> On the station, Scotty, Chekhov, and another lieutenant enter the bar. They take a seat close by a table of Klingons. The salesman, Cyrano Jones, comes in and offers a triple to Scotty and the men, and they decline. So he goes to the Klingon table, and the triple has an adverse effect when it's next to the Klingons. Kind of like screeches. And the Klingons insist that Jones take that thing away. Jones says... He's never seen a triple act like this. The triple freaks out, and I think it probably pooped in Jones's hand. <laughs> well, it's eating all that wheat or something. It's eating something, Dana. In one end, it's got to go out the other. So, <laughs> <laughs> so back at uh, Scotty's table, the waitress serves him drinks. Scotty looks at Chekhov and says, "When are you going to get off that milk diet, lad? This is vodka. Where I come from, that's soda pop. Well, this is a drink for a man. <laughs> Scotch." Aye. It was invented by a little old lady from Leningrad. So back at the bar, one of the Klingons approaches the bar. And the Klingon, whose name is Korox. Not, not Clorox. Yeah, his cousin is Clorox. He's 
kind of more bleached out. So, yeah, he uh, is. <laughs> he's a blonde. Yeah, the only blonde Klingon ever. <laughs> Korok says, frankly, I never liked Earthers. They remind me of Regulan bloodworm. So Korok says, uh, no, I just remembered there is an Earthman who doesn't remind me of a Regulan bloodworm. That's Kirk. A Regulan bloodworm is soft and shapeless, but Kirk isn't soft. Kirk may be a swaggering, overbearing, tin-plated dictator with delusions of godhood, but he's not soft. So again, Chekhov wants to go after him, but once again, Scotty is the voice of reason. He's like, take it easy, lad. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. Korak says, of course, I'd say that Captain Kirk deserves his ship. We like the Enterprise. We, we really do. That sagging old rust buckets is designed like a garbage scow. Laddie, don't you think you should rephrase that? You're right. I should. I didn't mean to say that the Enterprise should be hauling garbage. I meant to say that it should be hauled away as garbage. Oh, Dana, this is one of my favorite lines from all of Star Trek, and especially the part where he says, you're right, I should. I use that all the time, all the time, when someone will say something to me like, hey, shouldn't we do something like this or that? You're right, we should. And unless they know Star Trek, they look at me like, what, what, what? So Scotty stands and throws a right hook, sending Korax flying. A fight ensues. There's just this big brawl. I did notice that there's only like one part where Scotty has a stunt double. Yeah, he did most of his stunts in that scene. Yeah, and he specifically asked to. And so finally security comes in and tries to break up the fight. Back on board the Enterprise, we see several men lined up, and of course, uh, Scotty and Chekhov are in the line. And these are all people that were involved in the brawl. Kirk is asking who started the fight. Kirk says they're all confined to their quarters until he gets an answer. And he dismisses the men, but as they're walking out the door, he holds Scotty back. He asks Scotty who started the fight. And Scotty finally admits that he's the one. And he says he kept Chekhov from fighting because they were insulting Captain Kirk. And then Kirk says, if that didn't start the fight, what did? And Scotty says, well, they called the Enterprise a garbage scow. <laughs> and Kirk's feelings are obviously hurt that they didn't defend him, but they defended the Enterprise. And Kirk tells Scotty that he's confined to quarters. And Scotty nods and smiles and says, thank you, sir. That'll give me a chance to catch up on me technical journals. So, Dan, just a quick aside. Uh, we saw Scotty earlier reviewing technical manuals on, on a monitor. All those technical files backed up on the computer, that's, that's, uh, that eats up a lot of disk space. Do you think that Scotty ever worried about losing one of those files? Nothing is worse than having a hard drive crash or getting the message that your computer storage is full. If Scotty had photo bucket Dana, he could keep all his images safe and secure in a folder off of his computer. He would never have to worry about a hard drive crash. That's so true, Dan. I mentioned before I have backup drives and I don't always remember what's on them. And quite honestly, I don't often remember where they are. So I have to go dig them up. And that's kind of infuriating when you're trying to find a file to have to go through all those. Dana, you should save all those pictures and videos to photo bucket. You know, you can organize and even create themed albums on one place. Think of it. Albums for your your different vacations and pictures of the family and of course all your star trek photos dana excellent point dan photo bucket is just what i need and speaking of things getting lost dana just like every episode wh where are we now in the show <laughs> 
Well, damn, we're back in the lab. And as like it is all across the ship now, Tribbles are everywhere. Spock and McCoy are still examining the Tribbles. Spock seems perplexed and troubled by the Tribbles, stating that they have no practical use. McCoy says they're soft and furry and make a pleasant sound, adding its human characteristic to love animals, especially if they're attractive in some way. And Spock replies, Doctor, I am well aware of human characteristics. I am frequently inundated by them, but I've trained myself to put up with practically anything. And McCoy comments, Spock, I don't know too much about these little tribbles yet, but there is one thing that I have discovered. What is that, Doctor? I like them better than I like you. A doctor. Yeah. They do indeed have one redeeming characteristic. What's that? They do not talk too much. And it's another, just a comedy setup scene. And really well executed. So Kirk enters the bridge and Tribbles again are everywhere. Uhura says, they give us love. And Cyrano Jones says, Tribbles are the only love money can buy. Obviously, she's never been to Argelius too. <laughs> Or Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Kirk orders the uh, maintenance crew to clean up the ship. And then he says he's beaming over to the station and tell Lurie to have Cyrano Jones there. And then he adds, and get these tribbles off the bridge. I'd love to see the maintenance crew cleaning them up. Like, how, how are they doing? They have a vacuum. So back on the station, Kirk, Spock, and Lurie are talking to Cyrano Jones. So Jones insists he's done nothing wrong. The tribbles breeding helps him maintain stock, and there's nothing wrong with breeding non-dangerous animals. As Jones leaves the room, Barris enters, obviously mad. Barris points a finger at Kirk, says, In my opinion, you have taken the important project far too lightly. Kirk, with a wry smile, responds, On the contrary, sir, I think of this project as very important. It is you I take lately. Another good line, Dana. Oh, it was a great jab. On the Enterprise, the rec room is cluttered with tribbles. Even when Kirk and Spock use the food replicators, the trays come out with tribbles on them. So Kirk says, I want them off my ship. And Scotty comes in with an armload of tribbles saying, they're into the machinery. And Kirk asks how, and Scotty says, through the air vents. Spock notes that there are air vents in the storage lockers where the grain is kept. Hey, I have an observation though about this scene. So Scotty comes in, he's holding all those tribbles right in his arms and you can see his hands scotty's missing a finger i mean james Duhan's actually missing a finger i didn't know what the reason was but apparently he lost it in normandy yeah he was on the beach in normandy during world war ii that's amazing isn't it it's amazing that he only lost a finger i guess in most of the episodes they don't show that or you can't see it well in last week's episode they actually used a uh somebody else's hand when he was in the chair in the trial there's a close kind of a close-up of his hand on the little round object that tells whether or not you're lying or not. And uh, it was somebody else's hand because he had all his fingers. So Kirk goes to the monitor and asks uh, Lurie and Barris to meet him near the storage compartments. In the transporter room, triples are on the pads and Kirk picks one up and seeing no place to put it, he says, energize. And so he gets energized with the Tribble in his hand. So what if the transporter mixed the molecules from the Tribble with Kirk and Spock? <laughs> well, they could have ended up with some weird patch of hair someplace that didn't have it before. <laughs> So on the station, Lurie asks what's wrong, and Kirk says, plenty if I think has happened what has actually happened. 
by the storage bays, Kirk orders the guard to open one of the bins. Kirk is still holding a triple, by the way. The guard can't get seem to get it open. He tries another one that's overhead, and it opens. The next thing we see is Kirk literally buried in tribbles. So Spock picks up one of the tribbles and says, they seem to be gorged. Barris says, There must be thousands of them. Hundreds of thousands. One million seven hundred seventy-one thousand five hundred sixty-one. That's assuming one triple, multiplying with an average litter of 10, producing a new generation every 12 hours over a period of three days, and allowing for the amount of grain consumed and the volume of the storage compartment. Once again, Spock with the numbers. You know, I read that someone did the mathematical calculations on that, and it comes out exactly correct. (laughs) Just then McCoy comes in and says he's figured it out. If we stop feeding them, they'll stop multiplying. And Spock holds up a triple and says... It's dead. If McCoy had said that, could we have counted that in the counts? I hadn't thought about that till you <laughs> just said it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we would have, yeah. So they look at the pile and realize a lot of them are dead. And Spock says there's something in the grain that has killed these tribbles. And Kirk orders McCoy to check out the tribbles and check the grain and find out what killed them. So later in Lurie's office, Barris, Lurie, and Spock are waiting as a security guard is collecting tribbles around the room. Cyrano Jones enters, escorted by two security guards. The Klingons enter, and Kirk says, I need to know what happened to the tribbles and who put the tribbles in the grain. Koloth requests that the tribbles be removed from the room. As the security guard gathers them, Barris's assistant, Darwin, enters the room. That was Arnie. Arnie Darwin? Arnie Darwin. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So the Tribbles go nuts when they see Darwin. Kirk says, hold on. I thought you said the Tribbles liked everyone. And Jones says, they do. The last time I saw them act this way was at the bar when Korax was there. Kirk calls McCoy over, who scans Darwin. And McCoy says, Jim, this man is a Klingon. And he doesn't look anything like a Klingon, right? No, he looks like a little dweeb. He then asks McCoy about the grain. McCoy says it was poisoned. So Kirk walks back to Darwin and says, Mr. Darwin, are you going to talk? And Darwin's backing away. And then he says, I have nothing to say. And then Kirk thrusts the tribbles into his face. And he's like, all right, I poisoned them. Take them away. I mean, (laughs) that's pretty easy. I mean, like the tribbles don't have teeth or anything. What were they going to do to him? You know, so. So Kirk says, and the tribbles had nothing to do with it. Darwin says, I don't know. I never saw one before in my life and i hope i never see one of those fuzzy miserable things again the next scene we have is a bar and uh, on the space station and it's overflowing with tribbles kirk spock and cyrano jones enter and kirk says you know what the penalty is for transporting an animal proven to be harmful to human life and spock says the penalty is 20 years in a rehabilitation colony dana don't you think that's a bit harsh i mean does the federation have a problem with people transporting dangerous animals apparently they do I mean, that's a, that's a harsh penalty. Maybe they got that dog with the spike on its head that was, you know, the, the opposite dog. You know, the... <laughs> Maybe some baby Gorn. Maybe that's happening. Oh, is the Gorn an animal? I mean, it's a... It's a reptile. But it's a sentient being, right? I mean... Yeah. But maybe the baby isn't. The baby would be just dumb, you know, like most babies probably. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk says he won't report him if he cleans up all the tribbles from the station. And Jones says they'll take years. And Spock corrects him 17.9 years to be exact. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk says, I don't see any tribbles around here. He asks McCoy how he did it. McCoy says, well, it was Spock's idea based on computer analysis, of course. And then Kirk cuts him off and says, gentlemen, I don't want to interrupt this mutual admiration society, but I'd like to know where the tribbles are. And Scotty says, I, I use the transporter. 
there, Captain. And Kirk says, you used the transporter? You didn't transport them out into space, did you? And Scotty says, oh, Captain Kirk, that'd be inhumane. He says, well, where are they? Scotty says, I, I gave them a good home, sir. And Kirk shouts, where? I gave them to the Klingon, sir. Before they went into warp, I transported the whole kit and caboodle into the air engine room, where there'll be no trouble at all. Everyone laughs, and that's how the show ends, Dan. I love that last whole scene, but Dana, I have a little problem with it. Kirk was at first worried that Scotty sent him just into open space, and they killed them all, right? Yeah. But instead, he sent them onto the Klingon ship. Which is the same thing as killing them all. Exactly. <laughs> that's my point. <laughs> But it's funny for the moment until you think about it. Until you think about it. Yeah, it was funny until you think about those poor little tribbles. Yeah. Dana, you have some things you want to say about some of the characters and actors on the show. Yeah, two in particular, Dan. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, Undersecretary Barris looked really familiar. Uh, it's William Shallert. He was a veteran of many, many, many TV shows from Patty Duke's father and the Patty Duke show. Dana, that's where I remember him, yeah. And then he played old Admiral Hargrade, who was the original chief of control in Get Smart. He had a reoccurring role on Get Smart from time to time. And he showed up on the Dick Van Dyke show. Wild Wild West, Perry Mason, Hawaii Five O, just to name a few. And he showed up in movies like The Incredible Shrinking Man, The High and the Mighty, and even Gremlins and Inner Space. This dude was everywhere. And that's why I said early on that you've seen him before because he's been in everything since like 1950. And he also showed up on Deep Space Nine. Whit Bissell, the guy that played Lurie, he had over 300 TV and film appearances. And I remember him from the movie, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Wait, was it Werewolf or Werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> no, I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that movie. Yeah. He's also in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original, as well as other movies like Never So Few with Frank Sinatra, The Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart, and Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. He was a regular on a TV show, The Time Tunnel. In 1994, Bissell received a Life Career Award from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films for his work in those genres. Dan, do you got something you want to share? Yeah, I have a couple of things about this episode. First is the name of the Tribbles. It, it's interesting because there were a bunch of different names originally proposed for these little creatures. First one was Fuzzies. Some of the producers of the show felt that was a little too close to a book called Little Fuzzy. Not sure what that book's about. Not sure I want to Google that one. Some of the other names considered were Shaggies, Goonies, Puffies. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think another one they considered was Space Merkins, but they decided that would probably not work out too well. People need to look up what a Merkin is. Is. But when you think of it, Tribbles just seems to fit. Holy cow, Dan. You can say Tribbles to about anybody and they know what you're talking about. The Tribbles, though, they were originally designed by our friend Wa Chang. Yeah. And he did what? The shuttlecraft and a bunch of other stuff, right? Yeah. I think he even did the Gorn. And one final thing, Dana, is the show, Trouble with Tribbles, ties into a Deep Space Nine episode. And I loved Deep Space Nine, especially after the first couple of seasons when they really got in the groove of things. And there was an episode called Trials and Tribulations. The whole premise of the episode was people from Deep Space Nine had to go back in history and they end up on the Enterprise during this whole episode. And they were able to insert the characters from DS9 into this episode 
of the original series and made it look like they were on the ship at the same time, in the bar at the same time. I thought the concept was brilliant. I loved it. And the guy who played Arne Darwin, or Arnie, as we like to call him, he's a friend of ours, Arnie, he was in the episode as an older man. He comes back to like exact his revenge on Kirk by going back in time or something like that. (laughs) So it, it was really a fun episode. You might find this interesting. Roddenberry hated this episode. Really? He wanted to the show to maintain being serious. So Dan, do you have any themes and uh, and or dilemmas you want to discuss? It was really hard for me in this one, Dana, because the episode was meant to be funny. I, I found it difficult to find like a real deep meaning theme or dilemma. However, I think that sending the Tribbles like to the Klingon ship, knowing the Klingons were just going to kill them. Ah, is that okay? You know, it'd be like, I don't know, sending a bunch of puppies to someone who hated dogs. You know what's going to happen to those puppies. So it's not a real dilemma, Dana, you know. No, that's all I can come up with. Dana, what about you? I, I took the uh, dilemma maybe as uh, what Kirk said, too much of a good thing, even love can be too much. One or two tribbles, cute and fun, 40,000 of them, not so much. That's about as far as I could get with it. I, I was looking for something deeper and I just I stopped there. Dana, how about a best part of this episode for you? The barroom brawl, Dan, was Scotty. And as we mentioned, James Doohan did most of his own stunts in there. It was fun and it was a good piece of action for the show. How about you? Do you get a best part? The end scene where Kirk is trying to figure out what happened to the Tribbles. I thought the comedic timing was good by everyone in that scene. And the last line is a pretty classic line in all of Star Trek. How about another best part for you, Dana? Chekhov's involvement and his humor. He was almost brought into the episode, not or into the show, not only to be... uh, teen heartthrob, but also for the humor. Do you have another best part for us, Dan? Kirk seems disappointed when Scotty tells him the fight didn't start to defend Kirk's honor. The fight started to defend the honor of the Enterprise. I thought that was great. How about a worst part for you? The over-the-top comedy by uh, Cyrano Jones. It just kind of war on me a little bit. How about you, Dan? Do you get a worse part? It also has to do with Cyrano Jones. Thought he was a cheap version of Harry Mudd. How about another worse part for you? Women have such a minor role in this episode. The, the waitresses and Uhura fawning over the tribbles is about all we have. Dan, do you have another worse part? Yeah, I think it's clear that Koloth and Kirk, they've at least heard of each other. Just thought it would have been great to know that backstory. And I was a little disappointed that we didn't find out what that was. We've seen Koloth in another episode of Star Trek, haven't we? Yeah. Wait, should we tell our listeners this time who it is? He was Trelane, the Squire of Gothos. Dana, how about another worst part for you? Well, Dan, you know, I mentioned that there's women have such a minor role, and I've thought, what would have made this better? There's no Julie Newmar in this episode either. <laughs> That's a good throwback. That's a good throwback. Dana, what happened on the state in history? Good question, Dan. The uh, number one song in the U.S. was Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles. So they unseated the monkeys. And in the U.K., the number one song was Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles. Okay, another thing, uh, December 29th, 1967, the Hyundai Motor Company was incorporated in South Korea by Chungju Jung. The term black hole to describe an area of gravitational collapse where the pole is so great that even visible light and other electromagnetic radiation are unable to escape was first coined by Princeton University physicist John Archibald Wheeler. Also, a couple movie notes. Andy Wachowski, uh, American film director now known as Lily Wachowski, was born in Chicago, Illinois on the state in 1967. They made the Matrix movies, yeah? Yeah. And 
finally, Dan, for uh, December 29th, 1967, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, produced and directed by Sergio Leone, was the third Italian Western featuring Clint Eastwood as the man with no name, made its debut in the United States, dubbed in English a year after it made its debut in Italy. I love that movie. All those Italian spaghetti Westerns are great. So, Dan, do you want to talk about counts? No. And and the reason is nothing changed, Dana. So if people want to know what the counts, just go back to last week's episode. Nothing changed. Yeah, not, uh, not a thing. Dana, before we go, we want to thank our new sponsor, Photo Bucket. They have signed up on this mission with us through our voyage of Star Trek, the original series. Photo Bucket is the go-to platform for all your photo and video sharing needs. Photo Bucket, where memories come alive. So whether you're a dedicated Trekkie or just discovering the wonders of the Star Trek universe, tune into Damn It Jim, the podcast, and let Photo Bucket help you capture the essence of your own interstellar journey. Hey, Dan, it's important to point out Photo Bucket is our only sponsor. We're not looking for more. We found one that we think fits well with our idea of bringing something great to our listeners. So go to PhotoBucket, enter the promo code DAMMITJIM, and get a free month of service of PhotoBucket. And don't forget, for five bucks, you get one terabyte of memory. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, Dana. Well, thanks, Dana. I had a great time again this week, as always. What do we have coming up next week? Next week is the Gamesters of Triskelion. 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 <laughs> Quadratricale. <laughs> Next week is the Gamesters of Triskelion, and it features a uh, woman who became an adult film star. Whoa, I did not know that, Dana. <laughs> Whoa, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> yeah. See if you recognize her from your collection. <laughs> I don't have a collection, people. Once again, Dana, I would urge people to give the Dammit Jim Star Trek hotline a call. Even if you're rambling about something, maybe you had a bad day at work. Maybe you want our advice on like your love life or something. Hey, give us a call. We'd be happy to help out. Thanks to all our listeners and for communicating with us as they have been through Facebook and emails and YouTube. It's always a pleasure to talk about Star Trek. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call on the Damn It Jim podcast hotline at 509-676-6298. You can also email us at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. Next week, make sure to join us for the Gamesters of Triskelion. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to... Live long and prosper.